Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear Christian friends, what are you going to say? Nothing? That was my thought about 1.54 yesterday afternoon, I think, when I looked at the clock. Oh, I'd been patting myself on the back, you know, volunteering to preach for chapel when I was on campus. Besides, you know, I, I knew I had this old sermon in the bag on 1 Kings 17. I could look it over, massage it, you know, make it a little better message for the seminary chapel. I had one, all right, on the other widow of Zarephath's story. You know, the one with the oil and the flour that don't run out. The, uh, the more straightforward one. The one with God providing for his people. I had that one. Still do. It's in my room. You can see it if you want. It's not the story for today. So I looked down at 154, and these are the words of the widow that greeted me. What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And my thought was, now, what are you going to say? Nothing like a, a good dose of humility. Pastoral ministry has a lot of those moments of humility. They come more often than you'd like. And they often demand speech when words just don't come very easily. I'm reminded of my vicarage supervisor, Pastor Walt Steinbach, and a story he told me about one of those speechless moments. A little girl in the congregation had died after a very brief illness. And Walt did what pastors do. He jumped in the car took his Bible along, went to the hospital. On the way there, he tried to come up with some sorts of words of comfort that he could share. And as he went into that room of grieving people, he had finally come up with what he was going to say, and then the grandfather saw him, and Grandpa stopped him, literally. Grandpa picked Pastor Walt up right under the neck, and plastered him against the wall. With his feet dangling in the air, Grandpa said to him, You! You tell me why! And Pastor Walt couldn't say why, because he couldn't breathe. What will you say? If it hasn't already, your time will come. You know that, don't you? And you, you have to speak. And you have to speak in the face of seemingly senseless death. You will face the widow who wonders what you have against her. You'll face the grandpa the one with the big arms and the big hands that he doesn't get to put around his granddaughter anymore. 
Your feet will be dangling. What will you say? I tell you this much, there's things you don't get to say. You don't get to say nothing. I thought about trying that this morning, but I volunteered. (laughs) I'm a pastor. I've got to come up with something. You might go in grasping for words, but, but you cannot be silent. Suppose there's more that you don't get to say. You don't get to say, don't blame me, (laughs) blame God. You don't get to pass the buck. You don't get to take the easy way out. You've been called to speak. And, And sure, you aren't God, and you can't explain why, but you can't act like that all lets you off the hook either. You're the one standing there, the one called to speak. You can't go in acting uninvolved. What are you going to say? Suppose that's why I appreciate Elijah here. He doesn't seem to flounder for words, doesn't stand off in the corner in silence. Elijah doesn't pass the buck, doesn't try to excuse God. Very different from all that, I suppose. He doesn't excuse himself at all, and he goes right out and he blames God. Hear it again from Elijah. O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Killing her son. There's no wiggle room there. Elijah puts this on God. I read that and thought he must have missed a class on crisis counseling. I mean, we wouldn't do that, would we? Seems awfully harsh to blame God, awfully embarrassing. But Elijah's on to something. He blames God because while Elijah may not have all the facts here, he does understand that God could have done something else. He could have prevented this. That boy didn't need to die. The fever could have fallen on someone else. Certainly could have fallen on someone else not living in the same house as the prophet. If he's God, he could have prevented this. It might be a little embarrassing, but it's honest. It's faithful. Those words of Elijah, they sting, don't they? O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Those stinging words, they do reveal that little bit of whiny Elijah we run into at times. You know, the woe-is-me guy who believed he's the only faithful one in Israel. 
We pastors do that sometimes, don't we? If you're just getting ready to be a pastor, you'll probably do it too. Woe is me! I have the wrong sermon for today. Woe is me! Look at how faithful I am! And all of this keeps happening. Woe is me! But Elijah doesn't stay there. That's not going to be his final word. What's he going to say? And so he goes and he takes the boy and he pleads with Yahweh, the God who always is, the God who is life, and the God who grants life again. And dismissing, in our eyes, all sensible decorum, he covers the boy with his body, and he prays over him three times, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And then there's that marvelous line, and Yahweh listened to the voice of Elijah. Yahweh, the God who always is, the God who is life, grants life again. And Elijah took that little boy back to his mother. And she proclaims, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. The word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. The word of Yahweh. The word of truth is the word of life. So what are you going to say? Your Elijah time will come. My time came recently, and no, I... I don't mean at 1.54 yesterday afternoon. On May 2nd, I, I planned to have the Sunday off. Took a vacation day. I was going to be a, a, a good little student and uh, get some work done for my DMIN classes. But as will ho- happen, uh, the phone rang. A brother pastor, a few miles down the road, lost his wife. 38 years old, mother of three children, all under the age of six. Rachel was dead in a moment in a car accident. In rural eastern Illinois, there aren't a lot of pastors floating around to fill in in a pinch. But I was on vacation. So I offered to preach for my friends' two congregations, small ones, the kind of congregation then that becomes more of an extended family, ones that would be asking plenty of tormented questions. And I knew that my, my brother was going to be sitting there What are you going to say? I could feel my feet dangling a little bit. 
what do you say? I couldn't be silent. I'd volunteered. (laughs) I could have said the pious-sounding thing, I suppose. God has a purpose in all this. I couldn't say that. In some sense, that would be trying to let God off the hook. But I, I couldn't explain why either. Can't explain why or think that it's helpful for me to proclaim to have the foggiest sense of God's purpose in the death of this mother of three young children. Oh, I know, it has something to do with sin. It has something to do with the brokenness of creation. But why her? Why now? You have to find something to say. What are you going to say? In the face of death, we, like Elijah, plead to Yahweh, the God who always is, the God who is life, the God who grants life again. And when called to speak, we're not left without a word. We're not left silent. We're not left with our feet dangling. Because Yahweh, the God who always is, has spoken first. And he's spoken to us through his Son. And in the face of death, Christ brings life. Go ahead, look it up. Every time Christ speaks in these situations. Every time he crosses the path of a funeral, he does the same insensitive thing. He goes and ruins it by bringing the honored guest to life. All of that just getting warmed up for his cross and his crossing into death, but death not getting the final word. Resurrection. Life would be the final word. And all of that just to get us ready for his future planning to ruin our funerals. Resurrection for all when he comes again. Life everlasting for his people. In the face of unspeakable heartache, that's his word. There was a pastor... A lot like my friend, father of some young ones who were very little when mom died. And the pastor took his eldest son to the funeral home to go and see mom. Little boy didn't understand what was going on. And when it was time to leave, he asked his dad, Can we go back, daddy? Let's go get mom. It's time to go home. And dad tried to explain that mom wasn't going to be coming home. And they started to leave and the little boy broke away again. And he ran back up to his mom and he shook her and said, Mommy, wake up. Please, Mommy. And dad followed after and said, Son, don't do that. You can't wake her up. He said, yeah, Daddy, I can wake her up. I've seen her like this before. The two of them would take naps in the afternoon together. 
Wake up, Mommy. What do you say? He's a pastor. He's got to say something. And he knelt down and looked the boy in the eye. He said, son, you can't wake her up. And I can't wake her up, and nobody in this world can wake her up. But when Jesus comes, he's going to wake her up. Your time will come to speak. What will you say? There are things you can't say and things you can't explain. But you will, by God's grace, find the words to speak of Christ and the God who always is, the God who is life, the God who grants life again. You will preach Christ who crossed into death and came back and lives. In the face of unspeakable pain, you will speak of the one who's coming again to wake us up, never to sleep. That's my word. That's our word. That's his word. In the name of the word, our Savior Jesus. Amen.